A 45-year-old woman presents with breast pain. I had cancer, she states, and I thought that that was one of the worst things I could experienced. But I got through it. I had a mastectomy for the cancer, and then I had radiation treatment. I'm cancer-free now, but I still have awful pain. She further clarifies, I thought I just had to heal from the mastectomy surgery and everything would be fine. But now I have this constant burning pain in my breast. What can I do? Do I have to live with this? I don't want to be reminded of what I went through every day. Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alobi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome back to the Herb Podcast. On today's episode, we want to discuss breast cancer pain. Now, breast pain in general is pretty common and most women experience pain in their breasts at some point in life. However, there are distinctions in terms of the type of breast pain. There are three types of breast pain, cyclical, non-cyclical, and chest wall pain. Cyclical pain is usually thought of as hormonal in nature. So to keep it simple, think of cyclical pain as pain with your period and pain with hormonal changes. Non-cyclical pain is pain in the breast itself that is continuous or can come and go, but isn't really following a specific pattern or cycle. For example, this can be due to breast cancer, a non-cancerous lesion, or prior surgery or injury to the breast. And then chest wall pain is pain that seems like it's coming from the breast, but really it's coming from somewhere else, like pulling a muscle or pain in the ribs. Today, we're specifically going to talk about breast cancer pain before, during, and after treatment of the cancer. So joining us today, we have a special guest, Dr. Amitabh Gulati. Now, Dr. Gulati is an anesthesiologist and interventional pain physician in New York City. He's currently Director of Chronic Pain at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. He received his medical degree from Baylor College of Medicine, completed his anesthesiology residency at Emory University School of Medicine, and then obtained his pain medicine fellowship diploma from Cornell School of Medicine. He also has an acupuncture certification at the Helms Medical Institute. He regularly gives lectures and teaches at workshops on topics involving a variety of pain procedures, but particularly for patients with cancer pain. He has also published extensively on cancer-related pain, particularly in the area of breast cancer pain, both in terms of medications, as well as a variety of procedures to help relieve pain after cancer treatment and surgery. So welcome, Dr. Gulati. Happy to be here. So let's just dive right into it. Um, so let's just start by dividing up pain in terms of, you know, before breast cancer treatment, during breast cancer treatment, and after breast cancer treatment. You know, when a person first gets diagnosed with breast cancer, is it common to feel pain at that stage? Yeah, usually when most women are getting screened, um, sometimes on a yearly basis, their mammograms and perhaps some other things such as MRI screenings, uh, they tend not to have pain before uh, the diagnosis. Um, sometimes these um, masses are detected very early, which is very good news. Uh, we can treat our patients accordingly, and hopefully this can be a life-saving procedure such as surgery. 
so, but it, what does happen when you get a diagnosis, and clearly I have not had that diagnosis personally, but obviously I've had some patients. Um, what we'll see is that I think people get nervous and anxious. Now you have his, you've been told you have breast cancer. You can imagine, um, I'm sure a lot of um, predominantly women who are going through this, but there are some men with breast cancer, uh, that anxiety may introduce a different component of pain and that's what you have to manage before the treatments. How does that mental component affect pain? Um, you know, for patients that do develop anxiety or depression from this diagnosis, how would that affect their pain post-surgery? Um, or is it more likely to become chronic as a result of this anxiety depression component? You know, what I can say from a pain perspective, um, and there's a lot of unknown when it comes to the diagnosis. Not very many women know, they might've heard the word mastectomy or surgery. Um, most women probably don't know that they might need to have radiation. They won't know what kind of concurrent, either chemotherapy or hormonal replacement therapy or some other treatment you might have to have for an extended period of time. You may not know the entire path um, of the treatment. And so I think when it comes to pain, you usually don't think about the pain as the first um, symptom. You're really Pain comes afterwards, and you're really worried about, quote, living. Um, and so I think when it comes to managing pain, uh, we almost have to, what I've noticed when I've seen our, our patients, a great example is when women have an expander, meaning that they've had their surgery, uh, they're spanning their skin so they can have a breast implant. Now, that can be a painful few months. Uh, when I tell women that most of my patients, once their expander is removed and the implant is placed, most of my patients don't come back. They don't have significant pain. There's almost a relief of in a, in a woman's face generally um, that is like, oh, thank God there's an end to this. So I think it's more about balancing expectations and discussing that there are treatments for the pain along every step, whether it's after surgery, radiation, the actual um, chemotherapy or hormone replacement therapy regimen. Um, and as long as you can communicate with the patients of these various steps, and we have treatments for these steps, you can really manage expectations. And that really helps patients who have developed anxiety and or depression as a result of their diagnosis and or treatment. Clearly, uh, we want to manage anxiety and depression um, along the way before and during and afterwards. And sometimes that requires our mental health services, psychologists, psychiatrists. Uh, but sometimes it may be that once you alleviate some of the concerns, um, there's a more of an acceptance and then a more of a fight for, um, you know, going through the treatments and quote, beating the disease. You know, I really like that you tackled, mentioned and tackled the mental health component of this right away. Um, you know, I think a lot of times as physicians, we're so focused on treating just the primary problem instead of, you know, thinking about the patient as a whole. And I think especially with cancer, it's so, so important that that mental health component is addressed because that's such a huge part of it. Um, and we know that anxiety and depression worsen pain overall. So tackling that ahead of time, I think can also be a great way to reducing pain and or development of pain in the future, um, or, you know, reducing overall pain levels in the future as they go through this cycle of treatment. Now you're right, Mira. I, I think, um, I think you had to look at these things holistically from a cancer perspective. Not many of us don't know when the diagnosis occurs, what's going to happen and the anxiety and depression build from there. 
Uh, clearly beforehand, if you have a predisposition to depression or anxiety, those need to be managed. But most of us are probably going to be depressed in some way if you get the diagnosis, uh, go through the treatments, anxious in some way. And what I found is just communication and knowing the the path was going to likely happen is probably the first battle because many of the physicians uh, will get this story from the surgeon, but they won't talk about perhaps pain that might happen down the road. Racial oncologists may talk about the radiation, but the same, same idea. I may not talk about any possibilities of any kind of complications a year from now, unless you revisit it with that particular person. So and interestingly, from my pain perspective, I tell my uh, fellows that I don't read as many pain books or uh, articles. I read more oncology articles and radiation oncology articles and surgery articles because I need to know what they're doing and how that translates to the possibility of pain and how they can treat that pain. That's great. And with that, so in terms of those different times when someone could experience pain, now obviously immediately post-surgery, patients, of course, will have some pain. I mean, you mentioned mastectomy, just any type of surgery, there's incisional sort of component to having pain. How how long, I mean, I, of course, it's going to depend based on the type of surgery, but generally, how long should that pain be expected to be present before we can say, okay, you know what, this pain has become chronic in nature and requires more treatment than just, you know, some Tylenol or a few post-surgery days of opioids? That's a great question. You know, from a, from a quote, pain perspective, we'd kind of divide acute, subacute, and chronic pain in time frames. So usually chronic pain onset most disease states is three months or six months post the incident of the problem. Uh, when it comes to mastectomy, um, we have a lot of different things that could be causing the pain. Some of incision, like you mentioned, you know, we have a lot of different nerves going through the area that our surgeons are very good at removing the tumors. They can't necessarily, necessarily see every nerve. And so you can clearly see you can have nerve injuries, muscular injuries, because we are working close to the pectoralis muscles, serratus anterior, latissimus dorsi, depending on the x-ray node dissection. So the complications of all of these things will have their own time slots. What I try to tell our patients is there's no, when it becomes chronic, uh, our job is to treat you as quickly as we can and hope that by six months, by three months, somewhere time frame that you're much more comfortable uh, and that this is alleviated itself. Uh, from a interventional and a chronic pain specialist, I almost don't see the people who get better very quickly. I'm almost biased towards the patients who are having prolonged pain, whatever their uh, cause is. And so you kind of tailor your treatments to their cause. You're almost focusing on chronic pain. I would say most of our patients are coming between the three months to one year time point. But surprisingly, um, there's definitely a lack of educational resources in this population. I think some of our patients will find us a few years after their initial treatment and be shocked that someone actually treats and manages these patients, um, has various forms of interventions that are uh, relatively easy to perform, but can be very helpful. Uh, I think there's definitely a lack of uh, knowledge that we have a lot of good new treatments for our patients. Let's actually talk about those. Um, you know, we can kind of break it down more into since we are interventional pain physicians, kind of break it down more into interventional and non-interventional. Um, what sort of role do you generally see with medications or physical therapy for this kind of pain? Because it's a little bit different than you know arthritis or something chronic of that nature. Oh, of course. I'm glad you brought up the physiatry. I think the rehabilitation, um, especially if you can identify uh, rehabilitation, uh, like like pain syndromes before surgery, if you have a shoulder issue, 
address it with rehabilitation is very important. Uh, in our institution, I think our rehab doctors are involved very early on in the course of uh, a patient's diagnosis, really starting the range of motion exercises of the shoulder girdle, um, identifying any pectoral injuries, um, any nerve injuries related to surgery, whether it's brachial plexus, um, uh, et cetera. So uh, I think that the rehabilitation is key. I think phys um, physical therapy, uh, maybe sometimes occupational therapy, but depending on what kind of dysfunction you have, is integral to the um, kind of the path of, uh, of what a patient will go through during uh, a mastectomy and or radiation. So early on, we expect these things. We um, involve our colleagues very early. Uh, is our preference, as most patients would probably attest to, uh, to use medications. Um, we Not that we're uh, shy from using opioids. We try to be judicious with our opioid medications. We have the fortune of having other types of pain medication, whether they're nerve pain agents, muscular agents for pain relief. Uh, so we can add those things. Uh, that's usually the first step. There's also non-invasive things, massage therapy, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, acupuncture, integrative medicine service that we have uh, that can give kind of a holistic approach to managing pain. Um, those tend to be more preferable before our interventional strategies come in play, um, but there's definitely our injections, implanted devices we can do more in the chronic pain stage. Um, there's some clever devices that we can use in the acute pain stage, but in reality, uh, most most patients, most women who have this problem and the few men tend not to want the interventions early uh, unless some of these early easier therapies are not as effective. Um, have you found acupuncture to be helpful for this type of pain? Well, I'm technically biased. I, I'm licensed to be an acupuncturist. <laughs> uh, I don't do much acupuncture at all. I do some musculoskeletal acupuncture and electroacupuncture for some of our patients, really in dire pain issues. Um, I do think we have really good um, acupuncturists at our institution that are very helpful in the acute phase. Uh, we have significant amount of research performed by our team uh, for patients suffering from arthralgias and musculoskeletal injuries from hormone replacement therapies. There's very good evidence for acupuncture in this population. Um, so I think acupuncture as part of the paradigm of treatment uh, is very valuable for our um, breast cancer patients. And while I don't have direct experience of performing acupuncture on acute phase for breast cancer, uh, there's probably a very good reason to pursue it. Absolutely. Um, for, for a lot of, we, we did like an entire episode on acupuncture separately to talk about the kind of benefits overall for all different kinds of uh, pain and, you know, the relative super low risk of doing acupuncture. So it's absolutely worth trying um, for pain relief and it does help a lot of patients, I think. Um, I'm really glad you actually mentioned all of the um, sort of looking at the the patient and their body before they undergo surgery, because I do think that a lot of times what isn't established is just the baseline in terms of pain. Like, are there those different areas of pain that might contribute? And then it becomes hard after surgery to know, is this new pain? Is this like an exacerbation of your you know shoulder girdle or, or other pain that you've already had? Because that can really differentiate what treatment you would undergo afterwards. And, you know, they're during surgery, they're often in weird, awkward positions and those old injuries can get kind of um, re-exacerbated at that time. So, you know, when you have patients that have kind of both of these sort of older, a potential older pain um, issues, and then now this new pain issue, how uh, interventionally, 
what sorts of things do you do for like the newer kind of pain issues? So the new sort of breast cancer related post-surgery pain, what are the different types? Sure. So you're you're right. I mean, prehabilitation would be ideal for all of our patients and plus you identify some of the musculoskeletal injuries beforehand. Uh, In general, when it comes to mastectomy related pain, which is what we most commonly see, uh, we're targeting the nerves that are coming from the back and going towards the chest. Um, sometimes they're targeting the muscles that are involved, uh, but incisions, and we call them the intercostal nerves. Um, but to approach them, you know, in different um, ther- therapies is, uh, is wide. There's different discussions of how to do this. Uh, we have involved ourselves with injections of local anesthetic and corticosteroids uh, along the area where these nerves traverse. Um, I will say one important point. I, I'm not sure who the audience is, is going to be listening. Uh, if you can focally detect a painful point uh, at, at, around the breast after surgery, especially for a few months, um, where there might be a point, cho- the chance of a neuroma forming, I think what many women don't know is there's actually a surgical correction for this. Women can have their intercostal nerves reattached or have a conduit uh, with certain plastic surgeons. That has helped a significant number of my patients, something I did not know as in training, something I found out over the years. Uh, when the pain is more global, this becomes a little bit more difficult. Uh, we tend to perform more of our injections, putting steroids uh, around these neural targets or muscular planes where some of these other nerves, intercostal nerves, nerves that go to the muscles of your side, uh, of your of your uh, latissimus and your side. Um, we feel that those injections have been helpful to temporize pain for a while. Uh, sometimes the women's pain will uh, improve over time. Uh, sometimes they continue to get these injections every few months. Uh, for pain relief. Um, every once in a while, rarely we might implant a device or do something very different. Um, but by and large, these injections uh, with local anesthetic and, and steroids has been very helpful, um, relatively easy to perform under ultrasound guidance. Uh, and I think, you know, I've trained a lot of physicians. They've been offering them in various parts of the country. And it really seems that a patient really benefit uh, regardless of the part of the country you're in. And for our audience, um... Abith has been talking about kind of differentiating between sort of a small point of where that pain might be. And for a lot of patients, they can just pinpoint it. They can be like, it's right here, this spot hurts. And that's usually when a neuroma, basically scar tissue has formed in that area. And when something like that, I too have sent patients to um, a surgeon to just have that scar tissue basically removed and that area sort of reattached, which is what you mentioned. And that just gets rid of that pain entirely. Um, But when it's not just that, uh, those are the types of blocks that you're talking about is when um, is not just that one point that you can point to in terms of the pain, but it's kind of more of like a generalized or surrounding area. And that usually is when there's a lot of different nerves that are um, irritated or inflamed in that area, just for our, for our audience sake. So when you have that, so you mentioned, you know, uh, nerve blocks, we're using steroid and local anesthetic, which we, which we do very commonly. Um, do you also do radiofrequency ablation or cooled ablation? And for our audience, that's basically using heat therapy or cold therapy to kind of semi-permanently deaden the nerves to make the effects of the block last longer. No, I, you know, for patients who have recurrence of their tumors, tumors are growing. Uh, I think these ablations are much more commonplace for us in, in the cancer pain medicine. Uh, when, you know, a lot of our patients are younger, uh, they have a longevity to their, um, 
life, their treatments are gonna be very successful. Uh, we tend not to be as aggressive with destroying nerves, whether it's thermal or hot or freezing cold, really cold, um, because that doesn't guarantee that a nerve won't be coming back with pain in a year from now or two years from now. It may be numb permanently and it may not be, and we could not predict what's going to happen because you've had an injury to a nerve once, we can make it numb again, but that another injury may cause another nerve problems, how we think about it. Uh, so we think we, we work with our patients, um, you know, to see what their goals are, see how important it is to do these kind of ablations. Have I done them? The answer is yes. We're more aggressive with active cancer patients as opposed to disease that's been cut out and now you're surviving and living life. Uh, we've been very fortunate to have newer technologies such as electrical devices that you can put on a nerve and give a confuse the brain so you don't feel the pain per se. This is called neuromodulation. So we have these modular devices now that can achieve some pain relief. Uh, and so you might see a strategy shifting towards preserving the nerve function as we best can, uh, but then using other devices so that we don't make any new damages that might become more painful later. Uh, we may be, we're definitely more aggressive if the disease is growing and those kind of things. And that's a that's a great point because um, you know when we think of ablations, we're thinking more of sort of destroying the nerve um, in a way uh, versus a nerve stimulator device that you mentioned. That's more almost tricking the nerve or masking the pain rather than potentially causing further injury um, of those already injured nerves. So that's a nice way of sort of being able to mask the pain, but also because it's a device, you can turn it on and off and you just have more control over how that pain is perceived. And then that also changes because, you know, if you, unfortunately, if the cancer does go back, you um, have a way of detecting it where you haven't completely destroyed the nerve because the pain starts to intensify. No, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of things that you had to discuss with a patient. Uh, in general, the number one concern is, will my cancer come back? What happens? Uh, the good news for most of our patients with this diagnosis is the cancer doesn't come back. Uh, especially as we early on are able to screen for our patients and remove the, the tumors. I would say majority of the patients who have these surgeries, have this radiation, aren't coming to the pain clinic. They're able to go by their daily life. Uh, they might have some discomfort, but they're managing with at home and their own kind of exercises. And they don't come to see the interventional pain physician. So that that's the good news, um, but you're you're right in terms of how you treat when you have so many different options for treating. Uh, you have to kind of balance the goals of getting to your patient, what their goals are, what their family goals are, and you have to understand their cancer and what part of their cancer treatment they're at, and their chance of um, how staying on remission versus recurrence versus being a, deemed a survivor with no chance of uh, recurrence. Those kind of things. And have you noticed, um, you know, any kind of difference with pain? with radiation treatment. So with radiation, does the does, have you noticed like changes in terms of the uh, the way the, the pain pattern presents? Um, and then, you know, what can you do about it? Is it similar sort of treatments? Is there anything different? You know, interestingly, um, I've seen a lot of different radiation uh, syndromes from other nerves being affected, spinal cord, uh, sciatic nerve, for example, et cetera. Um, you know, because most women have had the mastectomy first and they have their radiation, and I might see a patient afterwards, it may be hard to distinguish unless they can, they can tell by time my pain didn't start till after radiation. It was zero pain after surgery. Uh, you know, radiation, unfortunately, can stunt healing of normal tissue for a while. And so if the nerve is trying to heal, 
uh, or has the opportunity to kind of get back to its uh, original state. It might be blunted, it may cause a pain syndrome. Uh, by and large, I don't see too many radiation syndromes related to pain in our breast cancer population who have just had surgery. Um, you might have skin changes and those kind of things that might improve or not improve. Uh, but I tend to see more in relation to the surgery itself or the treatment, uh, whether it's a, a chemotherapeutic agent or a hormone replacement therapy, does tend to be the pain center I see more commonly than the radiation ones for this population. Uh, our radiation oncologists are much better now at delivering radiation in a concise pattern, more focused on the tumor and the tumor location. And obviously, when women are choosing radiation after surgery, they're thinking about reducing their chance of recurrence. Um, and that's a very different than uh, treating a specific tumor as a nerve in the way. Uh, I think our radiation oncologists have really optimized radiation in the last probably 20, 30 years. Um, but the the uh, the breast cancer radiation tends to be to prevent re reduce a chance of recurrence as opposed to true treatment. Absolutely, and it, you know, with everything, you have to weigh risk and benefit. And of course, the benefit of radiation is going to outweigh the potential for developing pain from it. But you're right. I also, you know, mostly um, have seen the times that I've seen uh, breast cancer related pain. Most of the time, they actually do very well. Uh, but the times that I've seen it has mostly been um, surgical, like post surgery or with the scar tissue formation has really been the most of it, which a lot of times is actually not as difficult to treat as um, something that's more all over, like a larger area. Let's talk a little bit about um, autologous fat grafting. Now, this is obviously something that we don't do. So typically, this is done by um, surgeons, not interventional pain physicians. But, you know, I was reading about it and this seems like it's a, it's a newer procedure. Um, and for our audience, it's basically taking fat from other parts of the body and putting it into the breast. Um, and typically the thought is that this helps sort of cushion the surrounding breast tissue, maybe even have sort of an anti-inflammatory effect on that breast tissue. Um, and it's being sort of done more often now. From your sort of uh, reading of journals, since you tend to read a lot more on oncology than I'm sure I do, um, what have you seen about it? Um, is Have you seen patients who have had this? Has this been something that you've seen to be beneficial? Yeah, I mean, I have seen a few patients that come in with fat grafts. I will say from a pain perspective, there's a second area we can have pain now. Uh, they do have to take the graft from somewhere. So I, I've had a couple of patients with the injuries now in your thigh or their abdomen. Um, re regarding their post-surgical post you know, removal of a graft. So that's, there's another pain associated with that incision. Um, but by and large, the patients I see, and they're probably not that many relative to the number of fat graft patients that are done per year, uh, is the, the ones that don't seem to work. They don't seem to fill. They have a new cavity or a gap, and it causes some form of a pain because of the, of the resurgery. Um, so I, I haven't seen too many patients like that. So I imagine it was, it's really working. Um, but for the women who come to see us, uh, they tend to have kind of like a, 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 a divot or a, a, like something different about the anatomy now that the grad did not quote either take hold or it wasn't, it didn't, didn't, it didn't, it didn't work out in the end. That's tend to what I see, but it's not very common. The pains I see are tend to be where the graph was taken. This is very similar to when, uh, you know, they should do flaps and different other things from the other parts of the body to, to do the um, reconstructions. And there's a pain associated with the reconstruction of the breast. And that's, you know, for many other parts of the body, when we do 
uh, removal of tumors, we're not reconstructing, we're just putting things back together and that's it. But for the breast, for clearly for uh, evident reasons, uh, reconstruction is one of the one of the goals after the removal of a tumor. And that has kind of its own um, pain associated with the, how the reconstruction is done, even where the, how the implants are placed. Uh, if you are doing a fat graft or a flap of some sort, uh, how where that graft is coming from, uh, that can have an influence in the pain center where the graft is coming from and the location of the chest as well. That's that's so interesting because uh, I, I haven't seen any I haven't seen any patients that have had this. So um, it's so interesting to hear that because it really sounds like a double edged sword. Like on the one hand, your initial area of pain might get better, but on the other hand, you might have this whole new other area of pain as a result of the procedure itself. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to over uh, emphasize it. I mean, I'm only seeing patients that have the problem. It may be that the prevalence of the pain is actually low. <laughs> Let's keep that in mind too. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I think some of these procedures certainly are kind of saved for the patients that really have refractory pain, nothing else is really helping and you want to do something to help. And uh, a lot of these procedures, you know, for the most part, they help everything is going to have the possibility of uh, a side effect. Um, so, you know, but I think they are doing much more research on this now. So hopefully it becomes a, you know, uh, just like with radiation where they've kind of figured out how to focus it onto a very small area and minimize like overall damage. I think they'll probably end up doing the same with, with this. So it seems sounds promising. The best thing we can do is work with our surgeons, whether they're breast surgeons or plastic surgeons, and say we are as a as a group available to help your patients if they have a complaint of pain, so we can help them early as opposed to waiting to wait. That's what we've been successful at at our institution, uh, and you know that might be that's probably the best thing we can do here. Is, you know, if you have a problem, let us help you early as opposed to uh, not helping at all. That's an excellent point. Um, I, I think the collaborative effort that you just mentioned is by far likely the most important thing because if you kind of um, have the patient. Uh, set expectations, discuss it with a pain physician, a possibly a psychiatrist um, to help manage some of the under, completely understandable anxiety or depression that can occur with something something such such a life changing diagnosis. I think that combination um, is the best to help patients, you know, prevent them from developing chronic issues later, but also um, just helping them get through this time. And this time is not really short with the diagnosis like this, like it can be months of um, treatment and something that is not like a one-time support, but ongoing support that's needed from like a whole group of healthcare professionals. No, I mean, what would be nice would be for a patient when they receive the diagnosis, to know the entire path of what they can expect. Um, obviously it's very difficult. We don't know the type of cancer and that's part of the treatment paradigm, whether you get radiation, chemotherapy, or, you know, hormone replacement therapy. Some of, some, some of this depends on what the actual diagnosis of the cancer is, not just breast cancer, but breast cancer with certain subtypes. Right. Absolutely. It's not, uh, no one can really say at the start, oh, this is going to be the path and, and that's it. This is what you can expect, which, you know, for a lot of medicine, we can't really say that, but some type, some types, some um, uh, fields of medicine, it's a much more sort of clear-cut kind of pathway and like a more predictive pathway. I don't think this is one of them, unfortunately, just because everything is sort of a discovery as you, uh, in that ongoing process, like you said, do you need radiation? Do you not need radiation? After first get a biopsy. So there's like all these different components and that's overwhelming for, for a patient to have to go through and not have immediate answers. 
No, I mean, we look at medicine sometimes as you have a toothache, you take an antibiotic and you're done. Right. Uh, unfortunately, this is multiple toothaches, <laughs> different kinds of toothaches. Yes. You have to kind of be prepared for that. And I think most people are not prepared. They're hoping that you take it out and you're done. Uh, and that may be the case, um, but you have to be prepared for how to prevent things in the future. Um, lastly, let's just talk about some things a patient could do. So, you know, something that we do talk about on this podcast a lot is sort of uh, lifestyle modifications, um, things someone can do for themselves to help with their pain. Um, so things like, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, stress, having a support system, all of these things. Um, how important do you think these things are with obviously with breast cancer pain, um, and are these types of treatments things that, or these types of recommendations, things that you recommend to your patients? On a test, you put all of the above. <laughs> so I, I think, I think you know, if you cannot find, if you have a patient that doesn't seem to have the support group uh, or the support at home with the family, I think that's where our social work team, uh, our, our support groups in breast, breast medicine come into play. So I think the key here is to identify, and probably as a pain doctor, you probably aren't in the forefront of doing this. You're probably more likely looking at your oncologist or your surgeon or something. Um, that's going to identify when there may not be a social structure in place for supporting the patient. I, I, I think the journey is a family journey. If you have a family, friend's journey, um, I think the patients need to have the ability to discuss, open up, uh, help them manage your anxiety and depression. Yeah. Uh, Maybe following with other patients in a similar situation at the same time in the support groups may be very helpful. So uh, a lot of our patients find out that our pain service exists because they went to the support group and they said, well, my doctor did an injection. Why don't you try the injections? And so then the three patients come from the support group and say, I had no idea that you existed in our institution. Um, thank God for the support group that someone was actually getting injections from you. So there's a lot of value in everything you've said. Uh, there's probably a lot of importance in diet and exercise and removing fatigue and going back in and enjoying life as much as possible. Probably a better mental state helps you fight the disease better. Um, prepare yourself and higher nutrition, better nutrition means better immune system, et cetera. Uh, so activity is very important. All these things that come, uh, you've mentioned are very critical to success of a patient, probably not just in breast cancer, probably any illness in general. Um, so we have to encourage that as, as physicians to recognize when people are, do not have access, what resources do we have as an institution to offer those patients? Um, from my perspective, in most institutions, that will be social work, um, that will be uh, support groups. If we don't have them in your institutions, because many of us are providing care in the community, uh, they are definitely our community resources. There definitely are online resources to give you access to, uh, especially for breast cancer. Uh, I think there's a lot of support groups in this in, in, our, in the New York City area that may not be related to um, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, uh, maybe other, you know, but there's definitely are many patients going through this in the community. There's access to all of these things. The, the key is if you're a practitioner, consolidate those resources. If you live in Manhattan, have the Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Bronx, maybe Jersey City, whoever you're seeing patients from, uh, have those resources available so the patient can seek them out depending close to where they live. Um, but these days with online resources, it shouldn't be that hard to find blogs. Probably the hardest thing is to find a good one. Um, and as a practitioner, it's probably our job to start investing our some of our time to figure out who would be a good source um, for our patients. Um, I had the fortune of being in an institution that has some of these resources. I don't have to particularly go to a 
a meeting one day to see who is actually part of this uh, re, uh, support group and who's actually doing the communications and and verifying it and, valid, and making making sure it's valid um, valid and appropriate for our patients. But that's maybe something when you uh, are a, um, part of the community, join your Breast Awareness Month and go see what's happening in, in that community to become part of it so you can help your patients in a holistic manner. Amazing. Thank you. That was uh, the most comprehensive answer I could have possibly asked for. And you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. You're leading me to the right answers. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I think it boils down to basically collaborative effort takes the village sort of a thing with, uh, with a, such a big life-changing diagnosis. Um, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a fantastic discussion. Uh, you're welcome, Mira. It was wonderful to be a part of this and uh, good luck with all the future podcasts. Happy to help you along the way. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for our listeners for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at the female pain docs for more content. Send us an email at the docs at gmail if you have any topics in particular you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.